Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, evening, whatever time it is, whenever you're listening to this, just set aside, you know, a little bit of time for us because this is the witching hour. It doesn't matter if it's morning or evening. It's the time that we make for our magic. It's a time that we make for our meditation. It's a time that we make to get down and just sit on my porch, join me for a spell with my guest, Diatima Matanea, and we're going to be talking about her book, Touch Earth, Kiss Sky, and I am so excited about it. So give me a minute to go ahead and slide us into connecting with the earth and being grateful for her with Ginger Doss's song from the Green Album, Gaia Lives, here on the Witching Hour Spellcast. It is your gift to walk the earth. With every step, you must remember this. She was
I remember putting the the Green Album on to listen to for the very first time, and that was the very first song. And you know, at that point, I knew that this was a great album, a great album. The Green Album. If you want to get your copy, thegreenalbum.net. If you get it online. 25% of the proceeds still goes to the Rainforest Trust. Um, but you can, you might be able to catch, you know, some of our artists out in the wild if they, if they still are with the, with the coronavirus stuff happening. But once we start having, sh- uh, having festivals again in person, uh, you might be able to catch them with some, some of the actual physical CDs in their person, in their, in their, possession. But again, if you wanted to get thegreenalbum.net, 25% of the proceeds goes to the Rainforest Trust, which I think is amazing. Diatima Montanea, I I thank you for being my guest today. And I I flubbed up at the beginning. I said touch earth, kiss sky. Like touch earth, kiss sky, like I'm Tarzan. (laughs) But it's it, the, the name of the, the the book is actually "Touch the Earth, Kiss the Sky." Correct. That's right. And the sub <clears throat> and there's a, a kind of a long subtitle too, called uh, "Allowing the Rational Mind to Welcome Magic and Spirituality." I love that. I love that. Now, "Kiss the Sky" is that um, an accident or? The whole title just came to me um, kind of in a one of those moments that we witches have. And I loved it because Touch the Earth was the title of a book by uh, Marshall McLuhan that I enjoyed. And Kiss the Sky, of course, is the tip of the hat to Jimi Hendrix. Can't go wrong with Jimi. Uh, Jimi Hendrix. I, I used to be a DJ on a classic rock station, and I did uh, oldies too. So, you, you know, bring more Jimmy. Did you know? This is just an aside. Did you know the term heavy metal actually was uh, used to? It came into our vernacular when uh, William Burroughs, very strange fellow, <laughs> but William Burroughs. Yeah. Uh, the first time he heard Jimi Hendrix music, he said it's it sounds like heavy metal falling from the sky, and that's how heavy metal came to be in our vocabulary. I did not know that, but that's a very there interesting because um, Burroughs is a pretty interesting guy, and of course so is Jimmy. Uh, Burroughs is very interesting. I I don't know if I want to be uh, responsible for turning many people onto Burroughs, <laughs> but. But I will say the all-time weirdest movie I ever saw, ever, ever saw, and this is saying a lot for me, the the weirdest movie I've ever seen in my entire life is Naked Lunch, and it's based on Burroughs. So I've yep. warned you, you're on your own if you go watch it or even read the book. I am not taking responsibility because you've been warned. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's jump into – I wanted to do – I loved reading your book, by the way, and it resonated with me on so many levels. And but oh, as I was reading it, as I was reading it, I came up. I thought about um, a really corny joke I wanted to, a really corny riddle I wanted to ask you. And then later on in the book, you talk about people, you know, with humor being, you know, 
that's a positive thing to have uh, mm-hmm. when you're when you're you're approaching this, and and I don't know if it's it's a really corny joke, and I didn't do this because of what you wrote in the book, but because I really I feel the need to do this one. Uh, what did the Buddhist say to the hot dog vendor? I have no idea, but do tell me. <laughs> Make me one with everything. Oh. <laughs> it's a bad, bad joke. It's well, bad, that, that bad works joke. in the temple or in the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, I wanted to say, first of all, with this book, Kitch, uh Touch the Earth, Kiss the Sky, that it's not necessarily a pagan or Wiccan book. But, oh, but before we go into that, please tell me about yourself, and then let's jump into the book. Well, um, I am, like you, a witch. I came to it uh, probably a little later in life than many people today. It was back in the mid-'80s, and... By then, I was in my early 30s, but it spoke to me in a way that all of my seeking up until that time, uh, I hadn't found anything that quite spoke to me in the way that did. I began studying astrology back in 1968 or 69, and I looked into a lot of different religions, and then I found the craft, and that was pretty much it for me. So I have done a lot of studying since then and come to some conclusions about, oh, I should also mention that I went to college and grad school and studied uh, agronomy, which is the study of crops and soil science. So I have always been interested in the intersection of science and magic. And after many years of thinking and practicing both, I decided that I wanted to write something that pulled all of the ideas that were floating around in my mind about that together into one place and also reflected what I think is a really effective way of exploring a personal spiritual path. Because I find that today that a lot of people consider themselves to be, quote, spiritual but not religious, end quote. And, and I get that. But then if you ask them, well, what do you believe? How do you believe the world works? What do you think about the spirit world? What, what are your metaphysical and philosophical beliefs? They don't really have an answer. They haven't really thought it through. Right. So what I tried to do with the book was give people an opportunity with a year's worth of study that is based on the eight stations of the sun, what we call the Sabbaths. And at each station, you start thinking about something else and figuring out what works for you. I talk about some of the ideas and thoughts that I've had around these topics, but I think it's really important for people to think through what they believe on their own. So that's why I, basically why I wrote the book. The Stations of the Sun, of course, are a scientific fact. They aren't 
uh, something that, you know, Gerald Gardner made up. The stations of the sun are the four solstices and equinoxes, and then the exact midpoint between them, midpoint between equinox and solstice or solstice and, and equinox. So we're dealing with astronomical facts here, and I hope that the book will appeal to people who have a certain spiritual longing and can't really figure out how to balance that out with their belief in science. And certainly, we all got to believe in science if we're talking on cell phones, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, and you, I, I have to say that that this is one of the things that resonated with me most, um, because there's there's a book in me somewhere about the wheel of the year, and and using the wheel of the year in vernacular, uh, it's the same thing of what what you mentioned the the solar, um, the solar stations, um, and the neo-paganism and i know some people cringe at that word but you've got to to own it that a lot of what is pagan we're still trying to reclaim and and try to relearn but neo-paganism created these sabbats uh, you know and and connected them to to these these solar points but i feel a lot of people don't understand why and what they should be doing in those on those days and and i try whenever i do whenever i used to teach um because i haven't been teaching for a while but whenever i used to teach my big thing was the wheel of the year um because i would talk you know a lot of how you did is starting with the when i say astrology and astronomy used to be the same science and then they got divorced but there's still parts where they share custody, like when we talk about the the seasons, because when we talk about, I'm trying to 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 not tell your your story, but but when when you had your 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 charts in the book about what exactly is happening on the Earth when the sun enters uh, Aries or when the sun enters Capricorn or mm-hmm. when the sun enters mm-hmm. Libra. There's, there's specific mm-hmm. things that are happening. And, and we're, exactly. one of the things that we're – right. I, I'll, I'll go ahead and let you speak on that. I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. Um, and that is absolutely true. What a lot of people don't realize is that an astrology chart is an astronomically accurate map of the sky for a particular date, time, and place. And the system, the uh, astronomical system that an an astrology chart is based on um, is, uh, is based on the ecliptic. It, and uh-huh. it really has nothing to do with the constellations, so people get very confused because of the precession of the equinoxes. But what we're really talking about is the ecliptic, uh, which is the path of the sun around the earth. And so the sun enters Aries at uh, the spring equinox, and then it enters Cancer at the summer solstice, it enters Libra at the autumn equinox, and it enters Capricorn at the winter equinox. I mean, I'm sorry, the winter solstice. And so 
these stations of the sun have been marked by human beings, as we know from all the stone circles and stuff like that, for you know thousands of years. And they do, if you pay attention, you can sense the shift in the energy at each one of these points. So that's that really the, well, basis that's, that's, of the wheel of the year is astronomical. Right, right. And, and well, and see, one of the things I used to teach my students is uh, when we think, when most people think of astrology, they think, oh, my sun sign is Scorpio. That means that I, I'm supposed to go with Pisces. You know, or what does it, you know, or what they read in the newspaper, they don't understand that astrology and astronomy, there's a lot more to it. And specifically, you when you're talking about the elliptical, we're talking about, you know, in in common terms, the calendar. You know, that there's twelve signs twelve months. And of course the the sign the months and the signs are not, you know, exactly you know, we, we don't have the I was born in the in the sign of March, so you know, you're born in the month of March, but you can be born in the sign of either Pisces or Aries. And I hope I'm not confusing too many people. I'm just saying that there's well, twelve the signs. So start go ahead. The calendar can get pretty confusing. And I right. try to keep it apart <laughs> from anything astronomical because it really doesn't I mean, people, for instance, talk about a blue moon and they think that it has some kind of astrological significance. It doesn't. A blue moon just means that there are two full moons in the same sign, you know, in a month or whatever, and and that that or the same two full moons in the same month, and that means nothing. That's a question of the calendar. It's not a question of what's actually going on in the sky. So. Right. What we're looking at is is what's going on, actually going on in the sky right now. And an astrology chart, again, is an astronomically accurate map of what's going on in the sky right now. I can pull up my Sky Now chart in my astrology app, and I can walk outside, and I can look at the app, and I can turn around, and I can point to you exactly where the moon is in the sky, where Mars is, because I know exactly where to look just from looking at the chart, because it's astronomically accurate. But I try not to get into astrology too much in the book, because astrology, as you, know, as you were pointing out, is a lot more than just sun signs. It's a, a, a complex and fascinating study, but it is certainly not necessary for any I mean it's useful for spiritual inquiry, but it's certainly not necessary. And what I'm trying to do in the book is just build a way of staying in touch with the earth so considers ties what's going on in the earth and in the sky together. Because I don't think that we can ignore the fact that the earth is alive. I'm an animist, as so many pagan folk are. I believe that everything is conscious in one form or another. I mean, I don't think we understand the consciousness 
of an ant, much less the consciousness of an atom. But I do believe that physical reality is based in a much larger consciousness and that if we try and ignore that fact and see the reality of the earth and nature as being something totally outside and separate from us, we're not only missing the point, we're going to end up screwing up the environment in a big way as we can right. clearly see these days, you know? Right. And and that's one of the things I really also really enjoyed about uh, your reading, about your, your book. Um, going back to the point that I was trying to make about the, you know, at the beginning when I was saying you didn't necessarily write this as a Wiccan book, but you no, wrote it yeah. as somebody who wants to make that connection with with the magical and, and you know, the, the now in uh, consciousness is the key, right? Exactly. When you say that? Exactly. Yes, of course it is. And that's why magic works is because we understand that there is an overarching consciousness that is behind the reality that we experience. And we are part of that consciousness. Our consciousnesses are part of that consciousness. And I believe that that consciousness is creative, that, that greater consciousness, the capital C consciousness, is creative. And we are here to learn to create, and we can't do that if we don't understand where we came from and what we're doing here. And right. that is why magic is so important because magic, and as I'm sure as a teacher, you are well, you know, have taught your students this, magic is about learning to work with your consciousness, to understand your consciousness, to control, at least to some degree, your mind and your thoughts and your emotions and your actions in ways that shift and change the energy around you. So that right. magic is is kind of like if magic is an influence on the world around you. It's an energetic influence on the world around you. But if you consider that the entire world is an energetic construct, then shifting the energy around you, even if just a little, can sometimes have a very large effect downstream. It's like throwing a boulder in the middle of a stream. Um, if, right. if you're a good magician, it might be a boulder. If you're not, it might be a little pebble. But standing the energetic basis of our reality and how to connect with it and work with it, particularly through nature, opens up an entirely right. new world. Well, like... Um... When using that downstream, using the water metaphor of, of how we're all connected, um, you, when you learn, when you learn to use your consciousness, when you learn to open those doors, it helps you learn how to go with the flow rather than swimming upstream. Is, would that be a, a, a valid point to make, or well, would you agree you with, with learning? Sometimes you do, but you would learn how to do that without drowning. You know, you would yes, learn how to do that exactly. the best way. Yeah. Um, I, you, you were bringing up consciousness. One of the things that I liked in your book, too, is, you know, you, you talk about how 
we need to connect to everything. How we're, you know, that's part of why I wanted to do that joke about make me one with everything. Uh, but there's still, <laughs> but there's still that. I, I like the the in the book how you you uh, talk about the difference. And this is gonna we're gonna get deep. There's gonna be crunchy topics. There's going to be light lighter topics with with this book and that's that's what I like about it you you balance those um but you're you're talking about consciousness and then you talk about the difference between eastern and western views on ego and I found that very fascinating do you mind you know explaining a little bit about that for for everyone well everyone's aware of the ego certainly in most of the Asian religions, and uh, such as Buddhism and Taoism and Hinduism, the emphasis is on I'd say like downplaying, dissolving the ego. The here's here's yeah. the thing: I I don't want to oversimplify these religions that I'm talking about, and I go into this in a little more depth in the book. I don't want to oversimplify it by saying, oh, they say to destroy the ego, because that really isn't the case. But So there's, no. there's a lot of nuance here but that, that I, I'm not getting into. Essentially, the, uh, some of the Asian religions consider the ego to be an impediment, and, the, and some of it to be overcome. But in the West, Western psychology considers the ego to be a necessary part of living your life, but something that can get a little off track and mess you up if you're not paying attention or if you had a difficult upbringing and your ego was damaged for instance so yes there's there's right. a definite difference between the two and i think you know i think the truth lies for me at least lies lies somewhere in between i do believe that the ego is necessary to just to live in the physical world it's what keeps us uh, it 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 what keep, it's what keeps us able to say, okay, I'll call in at 2 o'clock and you and I get on the phone together because our ego is keeping track of some of this really important stuff. But Mm -hmm. the problem comes, to my way of thinking, when the ego, who should be in a managerial position, ends up in the CEO's office and starts trying to direct to the company but really doesn't know what the heck it's doing. So... (laughs) I'm sorry, I just made a very, uh, I'm not going to go into <laughs> the, the idea that popped in my head about somebody ending up in a position where they don't know what they're doing. <laughs> right. Go ahead. There was all book written about that. So that's, <laughs> that's essentially where the problem with the ego comes in, is when we have lost touch with spiritual realities, when we have lost touch with our our larger reality. Uh, one of the things, for instance, that I get into in the book 
is this concept of reincarnation, the concept of consciousness continuing after death. And as I discussed right. in the book and, and uh, many of the, <clears throat> the books I recommend in there discuss in even greater detail, it's pretty clear that something's going on here. Somehow consciousness does survive death and possibly apparently even comes back in to the world in another body from other parents, sometimes still with memories of those earlier lives. So obviously there is a larger part of us that is not tied to this lifetime. And it is that larger right. part of us that we pretend isn't there because we can't believe that there's anything that exists outside of physical reality. We can't believe that we are any more than our bodies. Now, our bodies are very important. And one of the reasons I called the, the book Touch the Earth, Kiss the Sky is because it is very important to take all of these, you know, deep ideas that we're talking about and ground them in reality. Mm -hmm. It's important. Yes. Experience is important. It's important to experience energy as well as just think about it. It's important to experience meditation instead of just reading about it because experience actually changes us and it opens up certain connections within our brains. Now, our brains do not, in my opinion, create consciousness. I believe that our brains are the receivers of consciousness. We modulate consciousness. We bring consciousness in in the same way that a radio receiver brings radio waves in. Mm -hmm. And so when we have experiences that shift and change our brains, it also shifts and changes our relationship with a larger reality, with the world of spirit. Yes. Yes. I agree with that. I And that I... I have to say one thing you, you touched on one of the things that I wanted to, to bring up um, your book touches on a lot of subjects and uh, and you give a lot of good uh, what's the word I'm looking for exercises um, on, yeah. on how to make, how to bring this practically, how to, how to evoke this. And then at the end of every chapter, you list resources, you know, source material for people to go if they want to, to look deeper and if, if some of subject calls to them, you know, you can go and do more research on, like you said, reincarnation. I thought that was very important. I used to own a little metaphysical bookstore back in the 90s. And I find that people who are searching need a little guidance. There are an awful lot of books out there. And certainly the book lists that I put in Touch the Earth, Kiss the Sky are by no means complete. They're just books that I had found useful that I felt I could recommend. But the more reading you do, the more books you run across. And so you can follow particular areas of interest. So I felt that that was an important part of the book. The book itself, Touch the Earth, Kiss the Sky, is a fairly slender volume. It doesn't take a lot to read it. But there's 
a lot of opportunities for further study packed in there. And I yes. think that's important because really the basis of the whole book is to figure out what you believe. Don't take anybody else's word for what you should believe. And here are some things to think about. Here are some ways to think about it. And here are some of the ways that other people have thought about it. If you read these books, you can, you can find out what other people have thought about it too. I'm and jumping up on my chair. I'm clapping. <laughs> <laughs> and then you can make up your own mind, not only because you have thought about it, but also hopefully you've done some of the exercises in the book that give you the physical gut level experiences that make, for instance, the concept of past lives real to you. I believed in right. past lives long before I did my first past life regression. But I can tell you that that past life regression blew me away because it was so visceral and so real and the details were there. One of the books I recommend about reincarnation is a very interesting book, and I can't remember the title of the top of my head, but it's in there. And it's mm-hmm. written by... It's written by a, a, a cop, and he actually went to a psychologist who was helping the police department with some cases, and she also did past life regression. And so kind of on a dare from some of his other, uh, the other pe- men in his department, and they were apparently all men, um, he actually went and got a past life regression with this woman. And she, what, what came up when he did this regression, I mean, this is something that she didn't tell him. This was not her being psychic. This was her putting him into a state where he could experience it himself. And he experienced himself as an artist back in the days of um, John Singer Sargent, who was late, late 19th, if I recall correctly, century. And he was a friend of John Singer Sargent. And he had got all kinds of details, like what kind of wine he liked, and he saw one of his paintings, and all kinds of really extraordinary detail. And it drove him crazy, gone as a lark. He didn't believe this was real. But when he was done, the experience was so important to him that he actually pursued finding out more about this artist who he thought he was uh, as, as if it was a case. And the book itself goes through all of the discoveries he made that finally led him to believe that there must be something to this because how the heck else would he know anything about this extremely obscure artist who had not been who had not been displayed, his artwork had not been displayed for over 75 years. And after this past life regression, this man had this urge to go to, I think it was New Orleans, and so he and his wife went on vacation down to New Orleans, and they walked into a gallery, and there was a display of this artist's work in the gallery, and it was the first time any of his work, it had been stored in the Smithsonian, it was the first time any of his work had been displayed in 75 years. Now, wow. explain that to me on a materialistic basis. Well, and that's, 
that's the thing is when you open yourself up to this, you you start those things happen, and and that's exactly. what the difference between your book and a book. Of, this is how you do this spell. This is how you do that spell. This is what this means. I I those those books have their have their place, and and I kind of chuckled when you said about you read this book, you'll want more books. And I'm like, I dare you to go to any pagan's house and find just one book. Just one book. (laughs) But, 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 uh, you know, it's, it's frustrating to try to make that step with students, whether it's because they don't know how to trust themselves, uh, how to trust opening up their consciousness, how the, how to trust opening themselves up to, to, uh, to this. That's frustrating because, you know, I, I know I came across as flippant uh, in one of the the groups I'm in where somebody said, my intuition is opening up. What do I do with it? And I said, listen to it. And I didn't mean to be flippant, but it's like, okay, you're telling me your intuition is opening up. And you're asking me Mm -hmm. what you should do with it. And that's, I think that that, I honestly think a lot of that comes from growing up in a, and I'm not trying to bash Christianity uh, or Abrahamic religions, but when you, when you're raised in a, in a culture where you have the, um, the like deity connecting to deity being an outside, an agent, agent of the outside, uh, uh, the locus mm-hmm. is outside of your control. Um I think that it's hard for people to understand what it is. You know, there's at the very beginning in the foreword, uh, you said something about, you know, going off on your own path. It's, it's, it's not easy. It's mm-hmm. scary. Mm-hmm. And, and, and if I, that's the thing I, I have to say, that's what I love the most about this book is because it was able to put into words what I've been trying to tell people is you need to go do this exercise journal. Oh, journal. My goodness. Journal. <laughs> yeah. You know, write this and it stuff is down. So difficult. It is so difficult mm-hmm. at first to overcome our conditioning about intuition, to overcome our conditioning about spirituality And yet what I realized when I first got into the craft, which was just after I left grad school, and I started studying, and of course there was in my mind a huge battle going on between the scientist and the the burgeoning witch here. And what I finally realized was that it is not scientific to not trust experience. Science has to be basically grounded in experience. And so I said to myself, I have to put aside my doubts. I don't have to release them entirely. I just need to put them aside and allow myself to do this work that, you know, my teacher assigned me or whatever and see what happens to observe what happens when I do this work without going, oh, this will never work, oh, you know? I mean, that's... Right. That's, that's or thinking it's going to be... A refrain. That's a refrain that goes on in our minds all the time when we were raised in this culture. Oh, that's, that's not true. That's never going to work. Put that aside right. and start actually doing the work, trying to be objective about it. Being objective does not mean 
scorning the idea of anything that is not materialistic. Being objective right. means doing the work and then observing the results. And the results that I observed told me that that this was very real because yes. It, it was just there. There was just too much happening, too much going on that actually happened in the world for for me to doubt that something was going on. So once I figured out that there was another aspect to life, that there is a spiritual world, then the question became: How do you access it? How do you learn more about it? But the mm-hmm. first step is always going, letting go of the tape in your head that goes, oh, this will never work. This is just nonsense. This is just silly. Think about all of the people who will laugh at me. You can't be a scientist and believe in this shit. No, no, you can, you can drop that. that. I mean, you can drop the, the, the S-bomb here. That's cool. Uh, you know, we're we're on the porch drinking our tea. It's all good. Um, and no, but the other the other thing too is not having an unrealistic expectations. This is not Disney. You know, you you, exactly. you and you do go into that as well in the book too. Don't expect to you know wave a magic wand and have a what was a Mercedes boom. <laughs> I want a Mercedes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then there are other things like, for instance, learning. Learning about divination, because in divination, the diviner is yeah. really going beyond the limits of time and space and sort of looking at the timeline and looking out into, into space to see something that might happen in the future. But it is not important to know that, in a, for instance, the economy is going to crash next year or that your you know, you're the, the, the guy you're dating is really a jerk will prove it to you in about three months. You know, that's, that's not important. What, what is important is to know how to handle what energy is coming at you. Now, the first woman I studied tarot with, this is back in the 80s, she was one of the most extraordinary tarot readers I have ever met. She used to read several nights a week at her local pub up in Columbia, Maryland. And I was, because she took me on as a student, for which I will be forever grateful, she let me sit in on her sessions at the pub sometimes. And it was amazing to me how many people came up to her, especially, I mean, men came up to her. And usually women are much more open to this sort of thing. But I saw men come up to the table and go, how the heck did you know that? You told me last week that Bob, that that this woman was going to walk into my office carrying a blue folder that she was going to put on my desk and that would be the signed contract and that was right in every detail. How did you do that? And and yet I I remember a story that she told me, as accurate as she was, I remember a story that she told me when, when she would go to the pub to read, before she'd start reading anyone else, she would first do a warm-up reading for herself. And one night she did a warm-up reading that said she was going to be blinded on the way home. So as you can imagine, she's blinded in a car yeah. on the way home. So as she was driving home, she drove home very, very carefully. And in you know how when you're driving a route that you know very well, you might stop for two seconds at the stop sign, take a quick look at both you know both sides, and right. and go on through. Well, in this case. 
because she was being extremely careful, she came to a full stop at the stop sign, took a couple of deep breaths, and just as she was getting ready to go through the intersection, which if she'd been driving normally, she would have already been halfway through, a bunch of kids came up in a car from behind her and threw an entire dozen eggs onto her windshield, which effectively blinded her. <laughs> and if she had I'm sorry, not, if she, I know, I know. It's, it's wild. And if she had not, however, taken that extra time at the stop sign, if she had not been careful, she would have been in the middle of the intersection and that kid's car barely, barely avoided an oncoming car as they shot through the intersection before her, and she probably would have been in an accident. Wow. So the question is not what's going to happen, but what are you going to do about it? Right, right. No, and that's when you when you're 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 very uh you hit it right there is when you when you study divination and i never really i guess i thought about it but this is bringing it into clearer focus right now when you study divination whether it's tarot whether it's you know yijing whatever you want to to study uh casting runes you're opening up that that door that connection with everything you know uh, what what we've talked about with the consciousness. It's just right, I always looked at right. at, uh, at I always looked at my cards like 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 this information's out there and you can access it yourself. But the cards to me were like eyeglasses. You know, they were a yeah. way for me to put yeah. it into focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I've had I've had weird readings. I remember reading for a guy and getting so spot on and he, and I was just reading for a bunch of people that night. And this one guy comes up and I started reading for him and I, you know, right away I could say, well, you're not going to believe this anyhow, but because, you know, the cards tell you this guy doesn't really believe this. Um, but I told him the story and then I, the next person sat down, I read their cards. Well, later on that evening, he pulls me, you know, he, he, he's like hiding and wait, waiting for me so he could pull me away <laughs> from everyone else and said, you know, how did you know this? I asked X, but what you explained was exactly what's going on at home. You know, I just, yep. I asked for this one little thing, but, and I, I was so, I didn't have anyone around me to teach me that I, I freaked out and I threw away my car. <laughs> I hate to say yeah. it. I, was, I threw away I my first 19. deck of cards too. Scared the crap out of myself <laughs> with my first deck of cards. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm see, not this alone. Is, this is exactly the sort of thing that blows your entire worldview into smithereens when it happens to you. Because if you are actually being scientific and actually observing what's going on, you're looking at these incredibly specific predictions such as a woman wearing a yellow dress and carrying a blue folder will come into your office, she will put the folder down on your desk, and when you open it, you will find the signed contract. You know, science considers variables to be extremely important, and when you are doing scientific research, you do your best to control as many variables as possible. And when, when I started thinking about all of the extraordinary level of detail what are the odds that this amount of detail could 
come out of all of the, I mean, there's so many variables involved that would be involved in getting this amount of detail that it, you know, it couldn't just be cold reading or, or anything like that. Something had to be going on because it wasn't, Oh, a tall, dark and handsome man will come into your life. This is exceptionally specific. And I have seen it happen time and time and time again, because I had tarot readers in my store every day. So after studying with this woman, Kathy, I opened my store. I had tarot readers in there every day and I was constantly talking to people who would come in, they'd get a reading, they'd go, oh, my God, how did she do that? How did he know that? And when you see this over and over again, you realize there are just too many variables to pull that kind of detail out of all of the possible things that could happen then even the next day, much less further in the future, for it to be a coincidence. Right. No, I'm with you. Well, and it's, you know, when you, when you, you put the work in and a lot of the things in your book, I wish I had had your book early on, but, but this is stuff that I, that luckily I organically was doing a lot of this already. And, it, but it's hard to, to teach people sometimes because they want the shortcuts. They want, you know, give me a book of spells. Mm-hmm. <laughs> give me a, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and I will say, this is a, you know, if you're serious, this is a year-long, um, a year-long journey. And it's, you know, there's work that you put into this. But once, after a while, it doesn't become work. After a while, it becomes second nature. Um, after a while, it becomes When you start value. opening yourself up to this. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and magic is like I wanted, magic is. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you I was go just ahead. To say that magic that magic is like any is a skill that you develop, just as you would develop a skill in roller skating or ice skating or playing baseball or <clears throat> whatever or, or working with computers, coding coding software, whatever. Mm-hmm. It's it's something that you have to learn. It's not something that someone can give you overnight. If you want magic overnight, then go pay someone who's spent years learning this stuff to do some magic for you. There are people out there who do that, and some of them are very good, and some of them are just have to take your money. <clears throat> but um, yeah. if you want to learn magic, if you want to expand your understanding of reality, if you want to open up your emotional being, your your spiritual being, then you have to put in the work. And somehow that there are not very many people these days who are willing to do that, it seems to me. Well, and it, I think it seems to be, you know, you said that you came to this in the 80s, and I just, you know, I as a kid, I was reading the, the, the myths I was reading, you know, yes. I, mm-hmm. a lot of where I, a lot of where I, I found my magic and my, uh, my spells, if you will, was in books mm-hmm. and folklore and, and superstition. And when I found truths in superstition, I know a lot of people look at me like you actually believe I'm I'm a oh you come near me when I have salt on anything it's going to go over my shoulder 
And, and people just look at me like, you believe that salt can do all this stuff? And yes, let's go back into science. What did you use to preserve meat? What did you use to fight, you know, to to stop uh, bacteria from growing in meat? You salted. You know, salt does have cleansing <laughs> effects. There's reasons that salt is used. And, and uh, I noticed that a lot in a lot of your, your, uh, your, I don't want to say totally rituals, your, uh, uh, sorry, well, activities. Some of them are rituals. Some of them are exercises. Some of them are rituals. Exercises, that's the word I'm looking for. Uh, yeah, I, I used to do this. I used to get paid to do this. <laughs> I can't think of words. Uh, no, but your exercises. Salt is salt and your uh, use of mm-hmm. of, of certain herbs um well everything has a vibration including herbs and salt and if we want to live on the earth then i think it behooves us to learn the magical and vibrational properties of actual physical things because they can aid us in our magic Our magic is done to shift and change our reality. And we do that by shifting and changing certain vibrational realities around us. And if salt or lavender or asafoetida or whatever you're using will help you change that reality because it helps tune your vibration the vibration of your goal and that I think is what is so useful about salt herbs stones crystals all of the candles incense all of the trappings of magic are not to my way of thinking just trappings they're not something to just keep your mind occupied while you know, you, you do whatever it is that, that, that you do for, for magic. They are actually helping your magic. <clears throat> they are actually right. contributing a certain level, a certain vibration to, to your magical work. So, I, you know, I don't consider them, I don't consider what's commonly referred to as the bells and smells uh, to, to be just something that, shifts your just trapping. mental state. It actually shifts right. the entire reality of your magic. I I like to use uh crystals as a good a good uh and, and a scientific you can scientifically talk about crystals too. Um a, a good uh argument for for what you're saying. Uh crystals when we talk about quartz crystals today even today, the most accurate timepieces have a quartz crystal that uses it to to, uh, to basically keep the frequency uh, accurate. Um, radio. I did radio for years. A radio station needs needs a crystal, and it's not just like Star Trek, you know. Oh, the dilithium the crystals. You know, there's something mm-hmm. to crystal. The piezoelectricity, you know, there's there's something scientific going on with crystals that are used in technology that, you know, why why could you use 
that for your vibrations, for your consciousness. Well, I right? think we are coming into, I think we are coming into, maybe we're even in the middle of a long-term scientific revolution in which, which I think will be as well, possibly one of the most profound scientific revolutions we've ever been through because I think that it will uncover on a more scientific level what the reality of consciousness and how it affects our world and how our consciousness affects our world. Now, in the book, I discuss very briefly um, science and scientists and why we are having such a hard time getting out of the pure materialistic philosophy that is behind modern science. But I don't, a lot of people like to say, well, quantum mechanics explains magic because of, you know, this, that, or the other thing. And then they try and get into interpreting specific experiments or whatever. And I don't do that. I just actually quote some physicists who understand the math because certainly I don't. But when actual physicists who are, and I'm talking about theoretical physicists, I'm not talking about some guy with a bachelor's in engineering. I'm talking about degreed, respected physicists who say, well, yes, consciousness fears is the ground of reality. Then I say, that's your area of expertise. But when you say consciousness is the ground of reality, then you are talking about my area of expertise because I have spent decades studying my consciousness, the consciousness of others, what consciousness can do. I, along with you know, plenty of other people from Tibetan monks to American magicians who you know, are, are hanging out on the internet. There's a discussion that I think needs to be had there. And yet it's not going to be had as long as you have the majority of scientists refusing to even look at the evidence for right. things like psi, you know, psychic abilities or reincarnation or anything like that. And it's, it's in some ways it's understandable just on a basic psychological level because really the basis of their entire world view, Freud, if it was accepted that psychic communication is a thing, how are you going to have a double-blind experiment if, psychic, if, if the, all of the people involved in the experiment are, you discover, on some level connected, psychically. Not going to happen. Right. Well, and so that destroys you know what the I call... entire basis of experimental science if that is the case. And it's beginning to look like it is. And I would say there's, no, there's certainly no question in my mind about that. Well, what would you Which say Which is not to say the about... double-blind experiment, sorry, which is not to say that double-blind experiments would never work, but there's something else that needs to be considered when you're doing this. I'm thinking what I'm, I'm agreeing with what what you're saying about you know we're we're going through a really rough time now uh, with the pandemic 
um, specifically mm-hmm. this pandemic and how it's going to affect the entire earth and especially our country, the United States. And I know anyone who has the internet can listen to, to this podcast, but we, we both live in the United States. Um, and decisions made in the United States are actually going to impact the world in a, in a much uh broader in a much more tangible sense because we're we're not controlling the pandemic like other countries yeah. are so we're putting everybody else at risk and i think that that's going to be the key to to how we we all start connecting when you start realizing how this virus can connect everybody on the face of the planet i think it's i honestly think that it's going to eventually be the key to the connecting consciousness not saying that the virus is going to infect us and it's going to be like a scientific a sci-fi movie of how now we're all the board but it's we're going to start understanding the human condition you know the human humanity and our and what connects us more than what divides us because we're all this well, is, this the virus is going to be like the the equalizer if you will it certainly is doing a fair amount of equalizing but it's also i yeah. think illuminating some of the inequalities in our society as far as who gets yes. medical care and who doesn't and, and stuff like that. Um, what what but, yeah, lives I are mean, worth saving? Huh? What what lives are worth what lives are worth saving? Who gets exactly. the who gets the attention from, from the government as to, you know, uh, hey yeah, we want you to go back to work. <laughs> We're not gonna give you any money because you'll stay home. Anyhow, right. I'm just trying to say that right now we're going through a negative time, and and I think that that um, that darkness. When you're talking, let's go back to Eastern uh, philosophy and and Buddhism, which you bring up. And again, this is your this is not a tome on Buddhism. You know, you you do you 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 introduce concepts from other other belief mm-hmm. systems. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about Buddhism, uh, the the core of what is Buddhism is 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 life is an illusion, that life is pain, and when you come to terms with the pain in your life, you can be enlightened. You know that's I'm I'm you know Buddhism in a nutshell, thirty seconds or less. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> yeah. But but we we do need to learn to embrace. The darkness embrace the lessons taught to us by things like this, and 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 your book does go into that as well. You know, it yes, touches on no it. no question that that we need to that we need to face life as it is. We need to we absolutely need to face reality, and certainly we need to understand that science, for all its faults and flaws, and it has plenty, is what has gotten us here, and to criticize science is one thing, to criticize it from a reasonably educated perspective is is one thing, but to start saying that there there is no virus is just totally unhinged and removed from reality. 
And I think yeah. that that's a real problem that, that we're dealing with right now is the fact that people are so afraid that they are just becoming unhinged because of this virus. Right. So it's the the virus is exposing certainly a number of, of cracks in the foundation of our civilization. Yes. Yes. And and I I I see this tough time that we're going through. Basically what I was trying to say is when you're talking about how we're in the midst of or on the verge of uh hitting a level where where you know, there's more understanding of uh, like telepathy and stuff. They know telepathy exists. Science scientists are, you know, they they don't know how. And that's what I try to explain to people is you and I are talking. I'm a, in a computer in in my living room. I don't know exactly where you're at, but you can be on a cell phone or a landline. But we're talking and we're having a conversations. And some of the things that you're saying to me is hitting me to the point where I'm getting goosebumps, which to me means that that's my my spidey senses of this is real. This is you know listen to this. This is resonating to me. Um, and so you're 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 sitting somewhere else hundreds of miles away affecting me you know and and we i think we don't take we don't understand the level of of how we're doing this already long distance because we're we're like oh it's science it's a cell phone it's I think we're going to start seeing how that, you know, that I'm trying to, to, to find the words, how these things that we see, see as, as every day, you know, everybody watching the tiger King that affected the culture that mm-hmm. changed us. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that maybe we'll start using this more mindfully you know, using these tools that we already have in place more mindfully, hopefully. One would hope, and you say that, you know, you say that science has shown that there is telepathy, and indeed it has. I mean, there's there's plenty of, not plenty, but there is a substantial amount of work that has been done around proving that telepathy exists, and yet Mm -hmm. it is denied or ignored, and any scientist, Dean Radin, for instance, who's done a lot of work on this sort of thing over the last 30 or so years, a lot of actual rigorous science, as have um, Robert John and Brenda Dunn at Princeton, and yet scientists, if you ask them, would say, no, science certainly has not proven telepathy. That's nonsense. There is no such thing as thought. Yeah. Yeah. And, there's, and there's, it's going to be a long time, I'm afraid, before we can open up to the concept of a non-material basis to reality because the material basis of reality has, uh, you know, the, the material approach, the materialistic approach to reality has gotten us pretty far as far as living comfortably on this world is concerned. But we're getting right. to a crisis point where we almost have to look beyond 
the kind of materialism that is basic to the scientific view of our world because if we don't, I don't think we're going to make much progress. I think that, that no. we might even end up uh, going in, you know, going backwards and in the other direction. So, anyway. I have, I have, to, I have to say the one thing though that that I'm trying to remember exactly how you put it, and I have to, I have to agree with it more when we talk about consciousness, when we talk about what connects us. Um, right now, you know, especially in the United States, we're being driven by what separates us and this divisiveness. But when it all comes down to it, you know, you and I both feel you know, from reading your book, um, and I'm, I'm putting, you know, my spin on how I feel you believe. So I want to hear, hear your thoughts on this instead of my projecting this, um, that love is, is the core. You know, when, when we talk about hate and fear, those are just, uh, love turned upon itself. That's like the, the, the negative twistedness of of love i used to love now i'm afraid of it i used to love now i hate it but it's still based in love and you have to, mm-hmm. to heal that and when you when you open yourself up to the universe when you start opening up that consciousness you can feel love you can feel that connection of what really absolutely but you can also feel and, and too. i mean i think the, the universe mm-hmm. does turn in the direction of love but I also think that what is, I, I mean, if you look around the world, look around the universe, and you say, well, let's assume that there is a creator, not necessarily a single creator, but there is some <clears throat> creator of our reality. And what would you think, looking at the creation, what would you think that the creator valued? And, and the one thing that always comes to my mind, first and foremost, is variety. Every <laughs> snowflake is different. Every leaf is different. Every star is different. And if you look around and what you see is the constant creation of new things, a variety, evolution, the, you know, the, the seasons with new, new leaves coming out every spring, you must think, well, I guess that creativity must be really important to the universe too. So, yes, I think that we, that, that we learn perhaps something about ourselves and our world through some of the hatred and division, but hopefully what we learn is that we can create something different that we too are creators and that we have choices to make. And if we make the proper choices, we can live in a world that where we recognize the fact that, yes, we're all connected, we're all one, but we are all also creative individuals. And this is what I think... Uh, there's there's a lot of Aquarius energy coming up in the next year, which is something I'm going to be talking yeah. about on Friday. Um, <clears throat> and Aquarius is all about creating a just society in which everyone can be themselves, can be yeah. an individual, can express yeah. themselves 
creatively in whatever way they want. And the ability, given the ability to to create, to make mistakes, to do things, is a loving thing. So that's yes. what I'm. That's where I'm hoping we're going. And uh, as far as our progress through this crazy time is concerned. You just wrapped everything up. I mean, there's so many other things that I would love to have talked about. Uh, I do want to want to touch on one thing before we, we go into what you can, you know, what we can, uh, what you're doing outside of here, other things, like you mentioned, the, the talk that you're giving. Um, but this book you know, we talked about it being a, a year-long thing, uh, a year-long journey. Um, I would say the best I'm, – I'm going to go ahead and put this intent out to anyone listening to consider buying it and giving it to somebody before Christmas, before Yule, before Winter Solstice, because the journey starts on Winter Solstice in this book. You don't just you don't have mm-hmm. to start in the book. No, but, uh, no. That way – but if you give give it to somebody before – the solstice, they can have some time, like any time after Samhain, any time after Halloween, up until solstice, mm-hmm. you'll give them time to, to absorb it before before they can start this this journey. Um, so you can find find you on uh, Llewellyn Books. Llewellyn, Llewellyn published this. I found you on Amazon. Uh, where else mm-hmm. can people buy Touch the Earth, Kiss the Sky? Well, I'm hoping where else can people metaphysical bookstore. Depending, of course, on yeah. you know here uh, here in Asheville, we we have a couple of stores and they've resumed certain you know certain limited hours. But I always hope that people will support their local metaphysical bookstore, and you can also find me at uh, uraniaswell.com, and that's uh, where I go into my astrology. Um, <clears throat> which I'm I'm an astrologer as, as well as a writer. And what else do I need to say here? <laughs> um well and if you if you reach out to your local metaphysical shop or just your local bookstore if you don't have a met- metaphysical shop, not a chain bookstore, if they don't have it, you can ask for it and they can usually they can order it for you. So it's always good to give your money to to local uh businesses especially during this time um and what i i wanted to touch on and we're not going to have much time to get into it and i would love to have you back because i really wanted to i have like at the top of my list cultural appropriation so people are just going to have to read the book (laughs) to find out (laughs) your your very grounded thoughts on cultural appropriation. Also, I wanted to, to talk about, you were, you were talking about uh, spirit guides and, you know, the, the, the mm-hmm. local spirits as in, and fairies. There's so much to this book. Uh, we, we talked mostly about consciousness. There's ritual, there's journaling, there's, you know, a lot of good advice for somebody who's serious about, about becoming a, a better uh, user of magic, if you will, a better connection into the universe, into consciousness, both your own and, you know, ego and, and everybody. Um, 
and it's a really good book for somebody who's serious and wanting to know more about magic, if you will, than, you know, what spell do I do on, you know, how do I do a spell for this? Um, not saying that there's not a place for that, but if you're really serious, this is, this is a good, a good book for, for you or, or a friend. Um, and again, well, you, you tell, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for sharing you this book with me and sharing yeah. your time. Um, and it's it honestly it's the book that I wish I I had because it, it voices the stuff that that to me I don't know to me it resonated as common sense but I couldn't figure out how to get somebody from hey I found out about about the craft and I want to know more about it well I keep trying to tell them meditate on it try to figure out what you what your truths are in fact I use a, a quote that's attributed to Buddha. But, you know, the Buddha, um, which is, you know, believe nothing, even if it comes from me, if it mm-hmm. doesn't resonate to for you, you know, even if I tell you, hey, go on my crystals right now. And if you're like, eh, that doesn't <laughs> not necessarily my my cup of tea. Um, but this is a, a good book for making that jump, you know, if you're really serious about about and again it doesn't necessarily have to be about the craft because there's some good, good advice there about your you know mental well-being uh and about just being a better person you don't necessarily have to be somebody looking for for magic um now well, thank tell you me, so much i'm so glad you enjoyed it <laughs> thank you I, I i do want to wrap it up you were talking about Yurani as well you want to talk about what's going on uh it was supposed to be last friday uh, you were supposed to have a, a a a thing, but it's going to be this Friday, so people can. It is. It's can going to be this Friday. I'm going to be doing a Zoom presentation on the astrology of the USA for the rest of 2020 and into 21, and looking a little further beyond that as well. This is going to involve some astrology, but one thing I pride myself on in my blog posts and whenever I speak about astrology, either to clients or to an audience, is that I try and make my conclusions in plain English. So while this is a a presentation with an audience that is interested in astrology, if you don't know any astrology, but you'd still just like to know what the heck's going to happen for the rest of the year, I'm going to go into that in plain English as well. If you want to know more about it, the event is listed on Facebook. I've got, uh, but I think probably the easiest thing to do is just contact me through my website, which is uraniaswell.com. That's U-R-A-N-I-A-S-W-E-L-L.com. And I'll send you the information in the Zoom link so you can... Log in. I think you already have the Zoom link, don't you, Samit? I I, I do. Um, Great. If anyone, you know, if you're if you can connect to the the show information on Blog Talk Radio, the link is in the show description for anyone. The Great. link for your on is as well, so that should help. Great. Thank um, you. And I I'm I'm so excited because there's so much. I've been piddling around with astrology since I was a child and mm-hmm. I've hit a part where a place where uh, 
I want to learn more, but I haven't. You know, you put the energy out there, the teacher will arrive. Maybe the I can maybe it. I can look into <laughs> Well, I'll, uh, maybe, I'll look forward maybe to hearing can, what you think of the presentation. I'm looking forward to, to taking part in it. Uh, I want to go ahead and, and talk about next week real quick. I'm going to have special guests. Uh, as, not that you're not special. <laughs> you are very special. <laughs> but I, uh, I've got S.J. Tucker, Suj, and Sharon Knight cool. uh, will be here cool. uh, both. Suge has a, a, a card full of different online events that she will do for different festivals and different rituals. And one of those is Hexenfest, which uh, is not going to be live because of the pandemic and because of the horrible fires that are happening right now in California. So Hexenfest is usually in California. So definitely energy into those fires being uh, taken care of quickly and safely and protect the, the people who are fighting those fires and the people in, in, in the path of those fires. But uh, Hexenfest will be doing uh, an online presentation. So I'll have Sharon Knight and SJ Tucker talking about Hexenfest and also SJ talking about the different other things that she'll be doing. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and, and play us out with a song from her uh, kind of a protest song a time of, of a song of the times it's wild times here on the witching hour spellcast thank you again Diatima Matanea did I say it right yes you did and thank you for having me thank you so much
goodness, so much S.J. Tucker coming up your way for you to catch her all throughout September. You're going to love it. And if you haven't heard much of Sharon Knight and Winter yet, you have uh, chatting with her and being introduced to her music. Also, Tricky Pixie, Tricky Pixie, yes, Tricky Pixie, which is Alexander James Adams and uh, Betsy Tinney and S.J. Tucker will be part of what's going on in Hexen Fest uh, that's coming up in the second week of September, but we'll have more details on that next Tuesday at 3 o'clock Central is when we'll be recording. So if you want to catch us live, catch us, find out when we're recording the show. If not, share us and listen to us as often as you want because, you know, it's all about you making the time and we make it easy for you to find the time to get connected magically. That's what the witching hour is. The witching hour spell cast. Uh, don't forget tomorrow night. We've got the witches next door here on the witching hour spell cast. And then uh, Jason will be on with witches, whiskey and wit. I'm hoping I get that in the right order, but I'm pretty sure that it doesn't matter as long as all three are there, (laughs) which is Whiskey and Wit will be here every Thursday as usual here on the Witching Hour Spellcast. Tell your friends about us and share us and uh, come back for more, please. This is Pamit and this is Pamit's Porch. Take care.